welcome to Centre Church. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. Three weeks ago, uh, we started a new series titled uh, Courageous Living. And uh, we're looking at this uh, great man in the Bible called Elijah. And I, I believe in every part of our Christian walk, we need to be courageous. And, and cr- courage isn't um, just doing silly things, but it's following God. It's the challenges that we face, moving forward in Him, and not allowing fear to dictate our, our direction or our destiny. And so we're going to continue the study, and uh, I'm going to just kind of bring us up to speed in the story. I'm sure many of you have already read the story once or twice in your life. Uh, And if you haven't, well, welcome to the story of Elijah, Uh, a great man in the Bible, the only one of two people who surfaces not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament in person. How about that? Pretty cool guy. Spans two testaments in the Bible. And so here we have this guy, and uh, we're first introduced to him when Israel has chosen to follow after other gods. And Ahab, who was the king at the time, uh, really started to chase after and serve Baal, uh, the, the, um, the gods of Baal, Baal. Sorry, I'm trying to get my Canadian English and my English English. Uh, which one am I saying this time? Um, basically, they're serving other gods, just to make it very simple. And... Uh, Israel's been led into this other direction, and God did tell uh, Israel before they even went to the promised land that if they chose to serve other gods, that there would be drought, that God would withhold the rain. And uh, so Elijah comes along to Ahab and gives him the news that there would be no rain unless he prayed for there to be rain. And uh, Elijah prayed, there was no rain, and God led him on this journey to, first of all, go to uh, a, a ravine, and he would be drinking from the water of the ravine, and a raven would, would feed him food every day, as would be normal, right? Um, of course, we all love being fed, fed by ravens when we're on holiday. I know that you guys, when you go away, you're always looking forward to the ravens coming with your food in the evening. Um, so this was a completely normal experience for any person to have. Um, now, one day the brook goes dry, runs dry, right? Because there is a drought in the land, and God leads him on a journey to go to a widow who has a son, and uh, he, or, sorry, she has just one meal left to prepare, and he has the audacity to go and ask her to prepare him first a meal, and then he can feed, she can feed uh, her son and the rest of kind of, they can take care of themselves. And so she takes this big step of faith, courageous living. Uh, she feeds him first, and amazingly, her food supply does not run dry, right? Through the whole time that Elijah's there, he resurrects her son who passes away. This is all that what Ruth in the message. And if you haven't heard it, I encourage you to look online to find it. I think it's there. Yes. All right. Uh, now, we are bringing the story forward to this moment in time. Now, three and a half years have gone by. Now, three and a half years of no rain is pretty dry at this point. I mean, it is desperately dry. And we come to this moment in time where God speaks to Elijah and says, okay, now's the time to step up. Step out. Uh, Be courageous. Again, Elijah now is a hunted man because he had already told Ahab that it would only be at his word that it would rain. 
So as year one goes by, and then as year two goes by, and then as year three goes by, I mean, he is the most wanted man. His picture, I'm sure, would have been posted on every signpost, wanted, Elijah, if you see him, you know, call the king, there's a big reward. I mean, the, he was the guy, the wanted guy. And uh, so to put his name forward, uh, with a little bit of a risky moment at this time. But God said, look, this is, this is the moment. And so we're going to pick up the story, 1 Kings chapter 18, Verses 16 to 29. We're going to start. So it's a little bit of a chunky passage, but it's a story. So sit back, enjoy the ride. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you trouble, uh, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your family have. You've abandoned the Lord's command and have followed the... All right, good. You sound just as confused as I am. All right. Uh, Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at the Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is gone, follow him. But if Baal is gone, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. Actually, that isn't true. But nonetheless, at this moment, he thinks it is. Uh, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose um, one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire is God. Pretty simple contest, isn't it? Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull and that was given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal uh, from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling, as you would. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom. Now, isn't it encouraging that worship this morning? We didn't do that. Until there was blood, that blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now, here we have the story. The great showdown. 950 prophets to one. What great odds, isn't it? There was 950 that were the the elite of the elite. They were seated and and eating at Jezebel's table. That was the the wife of the king. And uh, they were called to this this great 
encounter. And uh, it was a time for Israel to really choose who was gone. They were double-minded. And there's a challenge with being double-minded, isn't it? You're, you're kind of pursuing two different directions. A few weeks ago, uh, Alex had shared in our service about you can't serve both God and money. Or mammon I, it was, is what we see in the original text. You can't serve two gods. And so God, when we start to go in two different directions, God will create moments where we need to choose. It's impossible to go after God wholeheartedly, but also pursue things outside of that. Now, I think we live in a context of time where it might not be as, as severe as this in the sense of us worshipping other gods, but we can subtly allow things into our lives, correct? We can allow things in, and so the, the question that was being put towards Israel is that they needed to know who was really God. They needed to serve wholeheartedly. And the prophets start off first, and, and they really go at it, don't they? They start to, to dance, and they sing, and they start to slash each other when blood is flowing, and, and they are going at it all day, calling upon the, the God of Baal and, and Asherah to, to come and light the fire, and nothing happens. Do you know what? I, I think what's interesting, when I look at the world around us, a lot of people do crazy stuff just to find somewhat of a meaning and a purpose in life. I mean, people will, will go to the highest heights. They will, they will pursue careers. They will give it all up to just to get something of significance. And all at the end of it, nothing happens. There's a sense of emptiness. The most suicidal group are the people that are at the top of their game. Why? Because they get there and realize there's nothing here. The room is empty. How many superstars and celebrities struggle with addictions and struggle with all sorts of challenges in life. Why? Because they get to where they think happiness and fulfillment and everything is and there's nothing there. And that's a desperate place to be when you've done all that you can do and there's no answer. Why? Because only God can God. Right? He's the only one who can answer that inner need. And so although this was an outward sign, can I say much of the Old Testament as we look at it is a, is a symbol of what happens in, inside of our lives. And so although this is an overt situation, can I say this is a picture of what happens in the world around us. People are going after things. And even as a church, as Christians, we can wander from the faith, choosing to, to pursue things that in the end, nothing happens. I mean, this past two years, I think we've all experienced that. People had a lot of trust in, in the relationships, in their network of, of friendships and finances and all the things. And, and suddenly we were in a lockdown. And how crazy was that? When all of a sudden everything you thought was so secure becomes insecure. Why? Because there's no life in it. There's no eternity in it. Only God is God. Now, God desires that we would discover his power and his love at work in our lives. Just as back in this story, we see God had an intention for Israel in this moment in time for them to know the one true God. You see, it was a country that knew God, but had wandered from God. It was a country that saw his signs and wonders deliver them from Israel. Can I say there's people in this room who have seen God move in your life. You've seen the power of God heal, set free, provide. And yet somehow the things of this world, something can just get our attention. And we start to veer from course, from the course that God has for us. Now, as we keep reading the story, we're going to read the next part of the story, which is really what we're going to be looking at this morning. And so it's 1 Kings chapter 30 to 40, so the next 10 verses. 
Then Elijah said to the pe- all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he prepared the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each tribe, uh, descending from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two saves of seed. He arranged the wood, he cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and do it again. Do it a third time, uh, he ordered them. Then they did it a third time. The water ran down the altar and filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Then all the people saw this. They fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized him, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Now, I want us just to look at something this morning. Elijah sets an example that can be followed in seeing God move in our lives. And there are three very significant things that Elijah did that I think, although these, again, were an outside demonstration, I believe these are things that can happen in our own personal lives. And the first thing is there was a restored relationship with God. And what do we see here in verse 30? Is, it says, Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord. He repaired the altar of the Lord. Uh, the, the altar very much represented this connection that Israel had with God. It was, it was the connecting point. Now, we know that Jesus died for all of our sins, right? He was the one. He was the one and only sacrifice. So we are not in itself. We're not offering a sacrifice, but Christ is our sacrifice, and uh, for, for, for Elijah, before we could start seeing, before he could see God come in his power, there needed to be a restored relationship, the covenant, the, the relationship with God needed to be restored. And so he, he repaired the altar. He repaired the altar. The altar was this physical demonstration. Now, our walk with God can be the same thing. You know, sometimes we're, we're wanting to see God move in some extraordinary way, and yet... The altar of our lives, the, the, the center point where God is God in us, is actually not there anymore. Or it's, it's been a, a, a bit dismantled. It's like this artifact of our past. You know, 15 years ago, we were really on fire for Jesus. We, we really had a passion for him. But somewhere along the line, there's been neglect to the altar. Where God isn't no longer that, that center point. Our relationship with Christ isn't the, the thing that everything else is based around. But actually, it's, it's kind of off in the corner dust and cobwebs on it, and it looks like something that was once there, and maybe still is in our memory, but it needs to come back to the center point of restoration, of, of actually our, our walk with God, that the first love is, is taken hold. Maybe our past, again, we, we have this passion for Jesus, serving him only, and yet over time, allowed things to seep in, 
Can I just say it happens so subtly? I don't think anyone sets out to, to turn away from God, but it can happen so, so subtly where we just grow cold. And I, can I just say, it, we, we long to see God move in his power. And we look at the book of Acts and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Can I say we are still living in this, this era? Nowhere in scripture from the book of Acts till now do we see the Holy Spirit's been withdrawn from the earth. We still live in this time where God can move in us and through us, but we have to position ourselves to see it happen. Nothing just happens in our walk with God. And so the first step that Elijah took was he, he rebuilt the altar. He, he took efforts to say, look, this is going to be a center point, a center point again, a focal point. Today, maybe we need to repair some of our relationship with God. Again, before we can start to see him move in power in our lives, we need to be in a right place with God. And he has created a way through Jesus that we just need to turn to him, surrender ourselves. You know what? He is faithful and just, and he'll forgive all of our sins. And the Bible says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone. But we have to call on the name of the Lord. We have to repair the altar. Now, the, the next thing we see, so he starts from this position of preparing the altar, restoring the altar, but then he prepared the offering. Elijah prepares this offering in such a way that only God could light it. Now, I want us to just think through this. He, he not only does he restore the, the altar, but he prepares the offering. Then he, he asks for them to bring water. Now, can I just say there's two things that's quite interesting here. Where are they? Up a mountain. Now, I don't know if you've ever done mountain hiking, um, but often the further up you go, the less there is. Correct? Now, in a time where there's three and a half years of drought, do you think there's much water up there? Anyone hazard a guess? I don't think so. I'm not an expert, but I think if it hasn't rained for three and a half years, and they're halfway up a mountain, or they're somewhere up the mountain, I doubt that there's a lot of water to hand. So this is also a sacrifice. Can I say that? There's a sacrifice. So there, there's a, there's a, only God could light the, the fire at the point that the water's poured on it. But also there's a sacrifice given of saying, look, God, we're, we're giving what we have to you. I'm sure those who were putting out the water, as far as dumping it out, if you had went three and a half years without water, would this not be like gold? I mean, just thinking about water right now makes me thirsty. And I'm sure there was at least a thousand people up that mountain. They'd been dancing all day. Wouldn't you be thirsty? Kev, wouldn't you be thirsty? Hydration. If you're exercising, hydration's important. Right? They had been exercising all day on, in a, not a good way, but they had been busy all day. And they are dumping out the very source of life that keep them sustained. They're dumping it out before the Lord. Now, I, I want us to look at something here. When we desire to see God move in the most crazy way, there's a temptation, I think, as believers to live within the space of what we can do. And so we follow God in a space that maybe it's a bit of smoke and mirrors, a little bit of what we can offer as our own gifting. And so... We present it, and, and, and yeah, it doesn't have the power to change anyone's life, but at least it looks impressive. 
You see, what Elijah was doing, he was stripping all of that away. He was removing all of that, and he was putting it in a position where only God could do what only God could do. You see, that's quite a courageous thing to do, is to put your life into that position where you're now exposed where God has to show up. And if he doesn't show up, nothing happens. Courageous, isn't it? I believe that's a step of faith. I, I think even in the New Testament, those stories of, you know, we don't have any money, but what we do have, a, we give to, you know, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. I tell you what, that's a step of faith. To say it, to, to put yourself in that position where God may not come through, but you're trusting him to come through. You see, I think often we don't see the signs and wonders. We don't see God move in the only way that God can move because we're not willing to take that step of pouring the water on the altar. I'm saying we're going to extinguish anything that would be maybe it's really dry, the wood's dry, we're, you know, the heat of the day. Uh, we're, you know, maybe we could get a mirror, get a, a magnifying glass, we could start the altar on fire some other way. Actually, we're going to remove all that possibility. God, you have to be God in this moment. You see, when it's genuinely God, people turn to him. In any move of God throughout history, when God shows up, people turn to him because it's very clear this is God. And I think when people are with us and they're, they're connected with us and they're interacting with us and they're rubbing shoulders with us, do you know what? They will see what is God and what is you. God wants us to move in that space where we see his power at work through us, but we need to position ourselves that it has to be him. Not relying upon ourselves, but depending upon him. It's that living by faith. It's that trusting in him. Can we offer ourselves to God this morning? These living sacrifices. You see, we are, the New Testament says, we are the sacrifice. We are the living sacrifice. It isn't something else, it's us on the altar. Can we say, Lord, light us on fire. May your spirit burn inside of us. May we be on fire for you. Not dependent upon what we have to offer, but dependent upon what he can do through us. It's courageous to put it all on the line for him. And so we have this repaired altar and we have uh, an offering that's been put together and, and laid out before God and this water sacrificed over the altar. And, and then Elijah does one more thing. You see, he's put the ingredients in there, but there's an ignition it's like a fuse that has to be lit. You can have the dynamite in place. You can have it all there. In fact, can I say we all have it there. If you've given your life to Jesus, you've got dynamite inside of your life. A greater dynamite than the world has ever known. It's the same power that raised Christ from the, from the dead dwells in us, right? The same power that conquers death lives within us. So there's, but there's a fuse that needs to be lit, and, and, and the fuse that is lit is lit in one way, and it is prayer, right? Elijah prayed. He saw God in this moment. Can, can I just say, the fire didn't just happen because all the ingredients were there. It still required Elijah to call upon the name of the Lord. You see, we have a, a God invites us to participate with him. Was it God's plan all along for this to happen? Yes, 
Right? It was God who said to Elijah to go to Ahab. It was God who, who set the, the whole plan in place, but nothing just happened on its own. All of these steps, Elijah cooperated with God to see it happen. But there came the final climax of the story. Elijah still needed to pray for it to happen. God was waiting for the prayer. You see, can, can I just say, sometimes we get all the way to the finish line, but we don't pray the prayer, the prayer of faith. Saying, God, would you come? Would you move? Would you, would you come in power in my life, in this situation, in this circumstance? Would you come? Look, this is your will. I understand it's your will, and so I'm calling it out. You see, this is the power we have. You see, the fervent prayer of the righteous is effective, right? The Bible says it's effective, but we have a place, a part to play in the story. You and I. Sometimes we can be waiting for God to do something, and all the while he's waiting for you just to invite him. I'm waiting for you to call upon me, and then I'll come in power. I'll, I'll move. I'm ready and waiting. God would love to move in your life in ways that you could dare to dream or imagine. But are we asking for him to do that? Is that something we're even praying? On a daily basis, when we wake up in the morning, is it something that we say, Lord, I need you. Come in your glory in my life. Come in your presence. I, I want to shine for you. I, I want to be a beacon of light in, in my environment, in my workplace, in the, the world that we live in. Do you know what? God, would you come? You see, you are the one who controls the tap. You have your, you're the one who controls the tap. You see, the Spirit has been given for you. He's there. He's already been given. He's already been poured out. We have the one, our prayer is, is turning the tap on. and saying, okay, God, come, Holy Spirit. I, I've positioned myself. I, I'm in relationship with you. I, I, I've, I've, I've kept a short account on my wrongdoings. I, I, I'm right in relationship. But Lord, would you come now? I need you. God responds to the step Elijah took. The offering was burnt. The wood was burnt. Stones were burnt. The water was licked up and the soil was burnt, was consumed. I mean, God consumed the sacrifice. It wasn't a little flame. It was something that left a hole. <laughs> Unmistakable, that was God. You know, the Bible talks about God being the all-consuming fire. When God shows up, he doesn't show up in half measures. He comes and he consumes. He, he lets the world know that he's God. And I believe each one of us here are on assignment. God wants us not to be lukewarm, but he wants us to be on fire for him. He wants us to be a church uh, that radiates his presence in every environment that we find ourselves. God is more than able to do in your life greater things than you think possible. But he's inviting us to be part of the journey, part of the plan. What could he do in your life if you were courageous like Elijah and put it all on the line? Say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm the sacrifice. I'm willing to be all that you want me to become, Holy Spirit. Set me ablaze. Set me ablaze. What could God do in your life, your circumstance? Do you know what? In this story, it wasn't just 
Elijah and the sacrifice that were impacted, but Israel turned their hearts back to God. Why? Because they saw and they encountered God move through Elijah's life. You see, when we get our lives into this position, our lives affect the world around us. The story wasn't isolated between God and Elijah. Israel was impacted by that. Your life set on fire for him will impact the world around you because it's bigger than you. God's plan for Elijah was bigger than Elijah. He cared for the nation. He cared for what was going on. The same thing, he's positioned you right where you need to be for such a time as this. Do you believe it? Thank you for watching this week's message. For any more information or to find out more of what we do as a church, you can contact us at info at or check out our website at www.centre-church.uk.